Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. Temperature should readjust to your bedtime temperature because that is the perfect temperature for you to fall asleep. So let's say you were, no, you go to bed and usually it's a minus eight, then you fall asleep and it goes to minus 10. Then you wake up. You want temperature to automatically go back to, to minus eight because that is the optimal temperature for you to fall asleep. And that is a challenge for us on the machine learning side, but it's something we are solving because we need to identify that you woke up because maybe you left the bed, but maybe you didn't. But if you woke up, we want to reverse temperature to bedtime phase. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today we have Matteo Franchetti. I think I did that right. If you couldn't tell from his name, Matteo is from Italy and he is a genius entrepreneur with multiple large startup exits. His latest startup is a company called Eight. He has completely transformed the bed. In this episode, we talk about how everything is getting smarter, but our beds. We are still sleeping on the same damn piece of foam we did a hundred years ago. And Matteo is on a mission to change that. And man, did he do it. He took all the problems that people complained about with their bed and he fixed them, like how to make one side of the bed cold and the other side of the bed hot, which was the number one complaint that the 400 interviews he did with people talked about. He also found a way to build in a vibrational alarm that only one side of the bed could feel. Plus, he added a ton of metrics into the bed that allows you to see in the morning how you slept that night. Like how much deep sleep did you get? How many times did you toss and turn? It's like having a built-in whoop or aura ring or Fitbit into your mattress. You're gonna love this episode. So please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Matteo. Matteo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Super excited. You know what, man? I am uh, equally as excited to have you on the show today 
And, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm becoming a bit more obsessed with, uh, with sleep and how much deep sleep I get. Uh, I'm, I was started tracking it originally with, uh, with the whoop, uh, wristband and, you know, but it, it did not solve one of the challenges that I was having, which is like, you know, in the middle of the night, I've got to throw the sheets off me because it's hot. And my wife is freezing on the other end of the bed. Your product was the answer to that solution and many other solutions. And I have so many questions um, now that I've been using it for a couple of weeks that I want to dig into. So officially, welcome to the show. Thank you. And I'm super excited that you have tried the product so we can really dig uh, into the, the details of how it works. Okay. Uh, before we get into the world of sleep and metrics, I want the audience to know about you and who you are so that they understand sort of, you know, your, your process and a little bit about your history, et cetera. So I want to rewind the clock back and I want to take you back to Ferrara, Italy. As, uh, as most Americans, I love things, I love all things Italian. In what ways is living in Italy different than living in America now that you've done both? Uh, lots of things. It's, it's very different. So let's start from my city. It's a, it's a very small city. 150,000 people live there. We've had, we have a castle from a, um, 800 uh, in, the, in the center of the city. We have walls from 600. And, 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 and so everything you know, is uh, now from, from the Middle, Middle Ages. Everyone goes around with the bike, and everything is really local. So I, I would say it was a big jump, you know, from a city like that to then Milan, London, and then and then finally New York. And then the you know the attitude of Italians and, and Europeans is is more towards you know enjoying life. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, instead, I think you know Americans in particular are really focused on uh, optimizing efficiency, productivity, um, things like that. Is there a part of you, I I always wonder about this because when I go to Italy, like I mentioned to you uh, off air a few months ago, I just did uh, four months in Florence and it was amazing. And it was very difficult for me actually to come back because, you know, when I met somebody there, I, I, you know, I didn't talk about what I did and it wasn't around business. It was around, you know, a conversation with the lady selling me a tomato, you know, in the street and how this, you got to, you got to put this tomato in your mouth and that you never tasted anything like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm yeah. talking about. And, you know, coming back was really, really difficult for me having, you know, one foot there and one foot here. Um, I know that there's upsides, you know, there's a lot of bureau- there's a lot of bureaucracy there and a lot of red tape and, you know, things are not definitely as easy as they are here. But on the other side, you know, there's La Dolce Vida and, and uh, La Dolce Faniente, right? Faniente, the, the art of, uh, the beautiful art of doing nothing. And yep. is, there a, is there a part of you that, you know, feels like you just want both or, or are you kind of like decided that, you know, y- your spot right now is America? Uh, is is a great question, and is a question I, I get quite often. And, and my answer, and we, we, I cannot generalize, but this is what applies to me. I love my my country, and I love in general Europe for for uh, vacations, yeah. or when I want to take some time off and enjoy a bit more life. 
But for business and my day by day, I really like the U.S. because here, you know, people are extremely efficient, you know, straightforward. You can move things fast. There is less bureaucracy. So building a business, raising money, and you know, doing all that you need is is much simpler. But definitely, when you wanna, you know, just uh, uh, take some time off or um, unplug, my country is one of the best places I think in the world, at least for me. So you have a so you get a villa in Tuscany and you do your work here. It's pretty much what it Exa- comes down. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. uh, take me back to when you went to uh, to San Diego uh, for the first time. Was leaving Italy to San Diego a major culture shock for you because they're so different? Yeah, it, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, it was my first time in the U.S. Uh, I was flying here alone. And the other interesting thing is I was not really speaking English until when I was 21. Mm. 21, I started studying English. And yeah, two, three years later is when I flew here. And now I live here. So it was a, a big deal that that trip because I was alone. And it was the, the first time I was really you know, facing other you know, English speaking people. And so yeah, who knows if you will make it. But yeah, uh, I did so you decided that you wanted to study law. Why did you want to become a lawyer? It's a good question. So, I mean, it was on one side the most obvious path because uh, my dad is a lawyer and he has his own law firm and my sister is a lawyer, right? Mm, and so yep. I was born and raised in my hometown. I have always been an athlete. And so when I was a teenager, all that really mattered to me was uh, no, doing sport and being uh, no and and an athlete. So mm-hmm. I was the type of no young uh, student or at high school who okay, I just have to go through these. I'll do the bare minimum and I'll, no, I'll move forward. Mm-hmm. And so that was a logical path. Then things really changed on my mind while I was at college because I started reading about these incredible lawyers that they were no closing these incredible deals, uh, no IPOs and securities and large mergers. And I, I always wanted to be a businessman. And I thought, okay, that is the closest thing for, for a lawyer is the closest thing to, to, to business. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but then I read that to be one of these lawyers, you had to graduate with the magna cum laude and you need to speak English perfectly. And so that completely switched my mind, right? Like an athlete, when you set your goal, then you say, okay, I'm going to do all that, whatever it takes. I'm just going to get it done. And so I started studying English. I learned English. I graduated magna cum laude. And then I I started working for two of the largest law firms in the world, doing mergers and securities. Acquisitions too? Yeah. Okay. How and why did racing enter your life? Super young because my dad was uh, was a lawyer. That was his job. But uh, uh, during the weekends, he was racing with cars. He has been two times Italian champion. Mm-hmm. So since when I was five years old, I was spending you know every weekend in in motorsport. So around you know the the country and uh, at races with my dad. Mm-hmm. And then you decided on your Abu Dhabi race that that was going to be your last race. Why did you Why did you decide that it was over? It was the l- last race for now. 
So at the time, mm. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I you didn't, still may uh, have a Ferrari in you, huh? Yeah, exactly. So I'm still talking to the team. Obviously, COVID happened. And right now, it's not easy for me to not to travel to Europe or to the Middle East for, for any race. But it's outside working. Motorsport is, is all that I do. <laughs> So are you, are you, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, I go to Europe every year and have been for the last 20 years. I usually do like a month in Greece or something, but this last time we did a longer time in, in Italy and, um, you know, formula F1 was not a big deal as a, you know, as, as a young man for me growing up here, we didn't, you know, it just, it wasn't something we watched, but when I went there it, in Italy, particularly it yep. was, people were obsessed. I mean, yep. they loved it so much. Are you obsessed with F1 like uh, most Europeans are? I do. Like if, it. if they race in Australia and I have to wake up at 3 a.m. To, to watch <laughs> you a are, session, you are. I wake up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Are you, because you can't watch it on the replay because you want to you be in that moment. No, uh, no, and if you talk to my wife, she will tell you that then I watch also the replay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I <do both. laughs> That's awesome. I want to uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, startups now. It looks like you have uh, among many things uh, in your blood. Looks like you have startups in your blood. Yeah. You uh, you started Global Investment Renewable, which was uh, an international solar energy uh, financing company and development firm. Then you sold that, and then you moved on to your next startup, which uh, you ultimately wound up selling to Panasonic. And then you came up with an idea for a startup that popped in your head around sleep. What was it about sleep and sleep technology that made you want to go all in? Yeah, so two things, right? So on one side, I have been an athlete all my life, and so I have always been uh, really focused on my performance and recovery on the other side, at that time, you know, I was ending my, 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 my second startup and I was the typical entrepreneur who was working you know, very long hours, sleeping very little, just pushing, pushing, pushing. And so I started wondering why Elon Musk is taking us to Mars and I still spend a, a third of my life on a piece of dumb foam. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. We have technology everywhere, but then I go to bed at 10 p.m. and I expect my body to recover on its own without no, any sort of technological enhancement. And so that is when I started looking into sleep. And then we came up uh, with, with the idea of eight sleep. So to really leverage technology for, for sleep enhancement. Okay, so you got this idea. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's on your mind. I'm going to do this. Not, nothing has changed. It's, you know, even toasters have changed throughout the years. But the bed <laughs> yeah. has been a damn piece of foam um, and nothing's changing, but I, I'm going to change it. Where do you begin to map out how you're going to do it? Obviously, you need some money, so you decided to crowdsource um, a million and a half dollars from Indiegogo. Let me stop there. What What did you learn? Because I have people right now that are listening to the show that have a startup idea. They're looking to crowdsource something. They're look. They're maybe going on Indiegogo uh, to get some money. What did you learn from that experience of raising that first million and a half dollars? Let's let's talk about that. I think the the first thing you learn is uh, that you have evidence of the demand. The thing that is tricky with uh, pre-orders is 
on Indiegogo uh, or some of now these uh, these sort of platforms, you have a very specific audience. They are very early adopters. And so you might sell 8,000 units as we did in pre-orders, which then means building a lot of units. But then when you immediately after shipping all these pre-orders, you get into you know, the more regular life with more regular customers. And yeah. so suddenly you start moving 50 units a month, right? Mm-hmm. And before you built 8,000. So it's a pretty big challenge. And it's not something I would always recommend now. The thing that where it helps you a lot is then you can go to investors and say, look, there is demand for my product. I sold 8,000 units in pre-orders. People love these ideas, this product market fit. And so it is a tricky decision. And I think it really depends uh, if, if you need this sort of help to then raise money from institutional investors or not. Okay, then you go from there, from a million and a half dollars to $27 million. And there you went to Silicon Valley, which, you know, allowed you how to figure out this AI business and this machine learning, these machine learning models to track, you know, all these bio signals during sleep, like, you know, how long you go to sleep, when do you leave the bed, all the different stages of REM and sleep and even how many times you toss and turn throughout the night. And, 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 and that wasn't enough for you. You wanted to make sure that you cooled it on one side, maybe heated it or cooled it on the other side and put an alarm clock in the form of a vibration into the mattress. How did you approach navigating all of that, navigating, you know, getting the 27 million and then putting all that technology, which never existed before, into a bed? Yeah, great question. So on, on the funding side, what happened is uh, the, the, the Indiegogo campaign was quite successful. I think it was the 16th largest in the world at the time, something like that. And so after that, we got admitted into Y Combinator. And Y Combinator was game changer for us first, because obviously it gives you a, a pretty strong stand with, with investors. And second, because it's really a valuable program. They really coach you to think in the proper way. And so after Y Combinator, raising money was, was much easier and it unlocked a lot of uh, opportunities for us. Then on the feature side, we started with the data because it's something that you now we, we realize on our own. But then we started talking to customers. So I probably spoke to, I don't know, 300, 400 customers uh, directly. And what everyone told us was, uh, were two things. One, the, I sleep hot at night or I fight with my partner on temperature. Yeah. And so the number one thing I would like to have to improve my sleep is cooling. And the second one was, and by the way, I hate my alarm because sometimes it goes off while I'm in deep or REM and I hate the sound alarm. Is there yeah. a way where you can create a smart alarm that doesn't have a sound uh, but still wakes me up? And we saw a pattern. Everyone was saying the same thing over and over and over again. So you, you, couldn't, you couldn't miss it. Then we started looking into cooling and we discovered two things. The first is that there were already a lot of clinical studies proving that thermoregulation can improve your sleep. So it's not just about comfort. It can help you fall asleep faster and get more deep sleep and get more REM. And second is, okay, this is a pretty big deal. It's pretty complicated to do this stuff. (laughs) How are we going to do it? 
And that is where um, we had to focus on on the engineering side and figure out how to build the technology that could really do that. Okay, so now you so you do the you do the market research. You call you find out that you got proof of concept here. You 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 do three four hundred interviews with people, but now you got to figure out how to get all this shit into a mattress. Like how do you like where do you even begin with? Like who do you call? You know what I mean? Like how do you how do you begin this? Yeah, so let me tell you a story that is funny. So our first product was just a cover, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then one day I, re- I started thinking, but so what happened was that all the mattress manufacturers were reaching out to us. They were saying, oh, can you license us uh, our technology? And so one night I couldn't sleep and I started wondering, but wait, so what we do is pretty complicated and all these guys are coming to us. Well, instead of doing what they do, it's that really complicated. And so I started making a couple of calls, randomly cold calls to mattress manufacturers, and I understood that I could build a mattress very quickly, I would, I would say in like a week, and have the foam part. So I went back to my co-founders and I said, look, guys, I have this idea where maybe we shouldn't just sell a cover because we, we don't control the whole comfort. What if we sell the, the whole mattress? And what they said, and I made a presentation, beautiful presentation. And what they said is, look, on paper, it, it sounds right, but we don't want to be distracted by this thing. So if you want to do it on your own and you don't distract anyone else in the company, you can do it. And so I just say, okay, I'm going to do it. And within a month, we launched the mattress and I built everything on my own, meaning I started traveling all over the US. I met something like 30 different manufacturers. I found the perfect one. We launched the mattress and now the mattress is 90% of our business with amazing margins. Really, really incredible. Okay, so now you got the technology. I want to talk to you about the technology and, and how and how you do it. So one of the concerns that I had was, you know, I have a five-year-old daughter and I have a wife and I have a dog. And somehow I go to sleep at night and everybody, I wake up in the morning, everybody's in there. And somehow I, I thought you were going to be tracking my my dog's HRV you know, my, 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 my five-year-old resting heart rate. I, you know, my wife was going to be cold. I was going to be hot and the thing was going to be a shit show. Right. And we woke up the next morning and I had this nice little vibration, like about chest level that was almost tickling me in a way that made me wake up better than any, certainly any annoying alarm that I've ever had. It's the most unique way to wake up when something is vibrating in your bed. That's number one. Number two, I was like, okay, well, there's no way that the, the metrics are going to be accurate. You know? So I had my wife, I, you know, I, I elbowed her because I got up and I said, I want, you to, I want you to open your app. Tell me what your thing says. And she looked at it and then we said, okay, well, maybe the dog is, is uh, this is the dog's data. So I compared it against my whoop. It was identical. How are you able to differentiate who's in the bed and like make it work because I'm moving all night and there's two people in there. In my case, there's three people and a dog in there. How did you do it? How'd you make that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one of really the, the biggest machine learning challenges we, we, we have and probably that you could have. So you're really sleeping on a stethoscope, right? So the pod is a stethoscope, um, ah. oversimplified. And so one of the things that we do is 
obviously the heart rate of a kid compared to a, 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 an adult and compared to the one of a pet, they're very different. And so what you try to do is you try really to extrapolate the signal uh, that really looks like the, the heart rate or the metric of an adult, and you focus on, uh, um, on that. Um, mm. But obviously you need to train your algos to really be able to identify all the different differences and then just focus on the one that looks the, the, the most realistic. Ah, so it, so it sees it. It's not that yes. it doesn't recognize it. It's that it filters it out in exactly. lieu of the, the, uh, the adults. Yes. So we, we see the data of everyone and then we just filter it out. Okay. There's a couple of metrics in there that I was, I was wondering why you put in there. And one of those metrics is the amount of time it takes you to get out of bed. Why is yeah. that a s significant? So if you, if you talk to any sleep doctor and you say, okay, what are really the, 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 the core metrics I should look at now to improve my, my sleep? And they would tell you the first one is uh, how many hours you sleep. That is the most important. The second is consistency. So what time you go to bed and what time you wake up. You need to be as consistent as possible. And the third and the fourth thing is how long does it take for you to fall asleep and how long does it take for you to get out of bed? Why The reason why the latter um, matters is because otherwise you keep snoozing and you keep staying in bed and you just not keep dragging it, which is un unhealthy for you. You need to train your body to wake up always at the same time. So set the alarm and just get out of bed. You shouldn't be in bed for anything that is uh, sleep and obviously uh, uh, sex. But... Um, the, the, the concept is any sleep doctor doesn't want you to spend time in bed that is not extremely focused on sleep performance and efficiency. All right. That makes sense to me. Uh, so it's about training your body. Uh, good sleep hygiene really is what it comes down to. Okay. So now we've got different sleep stages. So you're assessing the different stages of sleep. You've got REM, light sleep, and you got deep sleep. Now, I'm assuming that as you get older, I'm 54. As you get older, your deep sleep is not what it used to be, let's say when you were 16 years old. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Is there any way, now that you have the data and you see, you know, I'm getting an hour deep, I'm getting two hours deep, an hour and a half deep, and you want to get more, is there anything that you can recommend to people that, you know, when they start looking at these metrics, you know, the metrics are only so good if you can't, affect them. So is there anything that you can recommend using the example of deep sleep that can help people do better in the amount of, you know, REM that they get or deep, deep, uh, deep sleep, single wave uh, sleep, I think they call it. Yeah. So one of the biggest factors impacting, uh, your deep and REM is temperature. And, and I don't know if you want to dig into that right now. Or, I do. Or, I, or, I really do. I really do. Let me, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, I, but now that you're going there, I want to give you a context um, to consider the answer. So I had no idea. I've never heard of a bed that has cooling in it at all. You know, you've heard of like a, you know, a, what do they call this? Like a hot pack that you wear in bed or one of those things. Um, but I've never seen anything with cooling. The moment I turned it on, it was an instantaneous. I knew as soon as I turned that on, I knew I was going to sleep better because I felt great. And so now what I'm doing, your app allows you to adjust 
what temperature you want. I think it's like four or five different times from the moment you get in the bed until the time that you wake up. And I've been tweaking those times. I just put everything on extremely cold because that's how I am. I'm, I'm an all or nothing guy. And I was freezing my ass off at two in the morning. So <laughs> I woke up and I said, holy shit, this is cold. Um, so I had to tweak it. And then I took the recommendations, but then I started to notice that when I allowed the app to give me what it wanted, that I started waking up about an hour before my scheduled time to wake up because the temperature wasn't as cold. It, it was warmer. And then I was like, well, I don't like that. I want to make it a little bit cooler because I, I, like, I don't want to wake up an hour earlier. So I'm tweaking how I want to feel in terms of temperature throughout the entire night and then waking up and I'm, I'm, I'm actually feeling better going through this process. So I wanted to give you that feedback. Okay. So with all of that said, how do you, how does, how does temperature affect deep sleep? Yeah. So let's start from one thing that you say that is really interesting, right? So you say, I like it really cold. I set it as cold as possible. You get into bed or whatever time you go to bed, but 10 o'clock. Yep. So from two to from 10 o'clock to 2 a.m., the bed was good. But then at 2 yep. a.m., you started feeling cold. That's right. And so the first principle behind this is that your body temperature changes during the night. Mm. So when you hear people saying, oh, you should sleep at 68 degrees the whole night, is bullshit. And the reason is 68 degrees could work maybe at 10 p.m. for your body, maybe at 11, but not at 2 a.m. And the reason is you have a, a body clock and uh, your body temperature during the whole day changes and also during the night. And so the temperature that you need in the first part of the night, in the, you know, the mid phase or in the second part of the night is completely different. So let's go through these steps. So when you get in bed, you need a bed that is cold, right? Uh, but not too cold. The reason is if, if that bed is too cold for you or maybe for your partner, you would accelerate your heart rate because the heart rate tries to pump blood to the extremities to make sure that they don't get cold. So the bed needs to be fresh, I would say, or coldish, but not too cold. Otherwise, you accelerate your heart rate and you don't fall asleep. Once you fall asleep, the first part of the night is when you get most of your deep sleep. And so the first part of the night should be the coldest. And that's why for you from 10 p.m. to the 2 a.m. was fine to be cold. In the second part of the night is when you get more REM. In REM, you don't need a cold temperature. You need what is called thermoneutrality. And the reason is simple. So REM is when you, um, when you dream, right? And so during your dreams, the brain deactivates most of the controls of the body including the temperature control. But what happens is the, your body doesn't let, in particular your brain, doesn't let you fall into REM if there is the risk that you could die because it's too cold or too hot. You know, It's a sort of protection that your brain has. And so thermoneutrality is sending a signal to your brain that, okay, this environment is safe. The temperature is safe. You can focus on the dream and stopping the temperature control of your body and just you know, let the, the, the body drink. 
Then the other thing that happens is usually two hours before you wake up, your body temperature starts rising. Is your body that is getting ready to wake up. And that is why then you need to personalize and usually you increase the temperature of the of the pod in the second part of the night because it's how you really help your body to get ready to wake up in the morning. All right. So there are essentially four different time periods that you're setting, if I followed you correctly. The first one, you're going to want to be the coldest. That second one, you're not going to want it to be so cold. No, the opposite. So the first one is fresh, but not too cold. That's when you first get in the bed though, right? Exactly. Okay, so you want it fresh, but not too cold. Correct. Because if it's too cold, your uh, heart rate accelerates to warm up the body, in particular the extremities, like the hands and the feet. And then the second part, you want it the less. You want that. You want it to be the coldest it can be, and that's the that's going to be. What time does the second part come on normally? Immediately after you fall asleep. Imme- oh, so it's immediately after. So it recognizes when you fall asleep, and then it bumps it and makes it cold. Exactly. Okay, so maybe like you know, you have a you have a setting it goes from you know zero to ten or zero to negative ten, right? So maybe, you know, like if a negative eight is, you know, nice when you get in bed, I know that, I know that that is extremely cold with your setting, but that feels good to me when I get in, I'd want to make it a negative nine for the second one. Correct. Okay. And then for the third one, I'd want to customize it. Yeah. And you want what is called thermoneutrality. So it shouldn't be cold and it shouldn't be warm. And so maybe in your case, you move it to minus eight or minus six, but it's definitely warmer than for phase two, which is when you were in deep sleep. Okay. And then when you wake up, I felt like it woke me up for the temperature. So can I bump it back up to make it cold for the wake up or no? Yeah, obviously all this is super personal, right? You are different from me. You're probably different from your partner. So it's very different based on age, on gender, on on, on body fat, all this kind of, of information. Uh, but the bottom line is usually is a U-curve, right? The, the, the graph, it should be a U-curve. So you start at minus 8 and then it goes down to minus 10 and then it starts going back to minus 8 or minus 6. So that is the U-curve. Got it. And then the wake up time is a, probably around the same temperature as what the final should be. Correct. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now, um, now you've got all of that set in there, and your you. This is interesting because I, I'm I'm sorry I'm 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 stumbling here, but I'm just tr- trying to think through what you're saying because the ultimate goal for me is. Okay, so so there's two things. Thing number one is I'm noticing that even if I don't have to get up to go to the bathroom, usually around two or three o'clock, I must be coming out of some REM cycle. And I've heard this before from a lot of other people who are sort of in my age group. You sort of just wake up like two or three, and then you have a little trouble going back to sleep. Is that something that came up when you were questioning people and if yes, how does the bed help with that issue? Yeah, so it's something that happens. Um, and it really honestly depends, uh, happens at any, 
any age. And what can happen is also that then, no, you wake up at you and then your mind starts racing and then you cannot fall asleep. Yeah, and right. so temperature should readjust to your bedtime temperature because that is the perfect temperature for you to fall asleep. So let's say you were, no, you go to bed and usually it's a minus eight, then you fall asleep and it goes to minus 10. Then you wake up. You want temperature to automatically go back to, to minus eight because that is the optimal temperature for you to fall asleep. And that is a challenge for us on the machine learning side, but it's something we are solving because we need to identify that you woke up because maybe you left the bed, but maybe you didn't. But if you woke up, we want to reverse temperature to bedtime phase. Okay, so the final phase is, does the final phase represent a potential wake-up? Yes, but that assumes the whole night, right? So it assumes that you sleep for eight hours. So usually ah. it's based on 5 a.m., let's say, because you usually wake up at 7 a.m., something like that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, six, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. we, but if you have an episode uh, in the middle of the night when you wake up, our machine learning algos, they detect that and they um, readjust the temperature based on your preferences for you. Oh, so it will readjust. So in other words, I'm looking at these four stages here, but you're saying that the AI built within the system is going to recognize, hey, this guy's he's up. It's three o'clock in the morning. We're going to need to change the temperature because he's up. Is that right? Exactly. That is what we are working on. So what you see there is a perfect night from uh, the, the, the 10 p.m. you say to 6 a.m., right? But if there are interruptions, our algos, they need to recognize there is a, a sleep interruption and they need to adjust temperature for you. Okay, but that's not in the software yet. That's coming. Is that right? Yeah, that's coming. Okay. Now, why did you choose a negative, you know, a negative number instead of an actual temperature? That is a great question. A lot of customers ask for the temperature. The reality is what we really control is uh, the temperature of the water circulating. Then the amount of the, the real temperature that you feel depends on your body and the amount of heat you dissipate. And so that means it depends on your gender, on your body fat, on your metabolism. So we wouldn't know exactly what is the temperature you are perceiving? What we know exactly is the temperature of the water. And so we wouldn't be able uh, to be accurate in displaying that number. The other thing that the other challenge we have is this. Usually people say, oh, you should sleep at 68 degrees, right? That is uh, what is the common knowledge. When you are directly in contact with something at 68 degrees, you will be freezing. And so, and if you think of your body temperature, right, is in, is in the 90s. So the other challenge is to cool you down, maybe the temperature of the bed could even be formally at 82 degrees, and it's still cool you, cooling you down big time. But it will look weird based on common knowledge to think that at 82 degrees, this thing is cooling you down. Mm, okay. You because it's I very do. different, the air from something you are in contact with. And so usually if there are 82 degrees, you know, it's a very warm environment, right? But if mm-hmm. you are directly in contact with something that is 82 degrees and your body temperature is 97 degrees, it's cooling yeah. you down. 
Okay. When, all right. So when I'm looking at the app, it also recommend, it also gives you numbers for the bed surface. So in my case, the bed surface was 83 degrees. Does that refer to what's on top of the, the, the temperature that's on top of, you know, the sheets, or is that the, the average temperature of the, the sleep pod? So in other words, the, is that like a room temperature that, that it's giving me when it's saying the, you know, the bed surface? So it gives you both, but when it says the bed surface is the bed. So the bed sheets, the, the top layer of the pod. Then there is also the bedroom temperature and also the humidity. Okay. So in my case, it says it was, you know, 72 degrees as a minimum and 86 degrees as a maximum. So that's interesting to me because I, when I think of having a bed at 86 degrees, that just feels like I'd be, you know, on a beach in Florida somewhere. Exactly. It's exactly what I was telling you before. But yeah. instead, it's not true because if you think of your body temperature, right, your body temperature yeah. is much higher than 82. And yeah. this is your bed before going to, to, to bed. Then as you, dis as you are in bed and you dissipate heat through your body, that 82 would start becoming 85, 90, and it would become 97-ish because it would reach the same temperature of your body. What the pod does is it makes sense, it makes sure that that doesn't happen and maybe it keeps it at 82 or maybe it moves it down to 75. Got it. Got it. I would wonder, I, you know, I'd be really curious to know what it was like before I cooled it, what that temperature was. The number was probably off the charts. Yeah, you could check it through the app, you would still see it and you should check uh, when the pod is not on. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, okay. That's a, oh, okay. That's great. That's a great, that's a great uh, thing. Okay. Super, super helpful. I want to ask you um, a few questions um, about uh, business. And then I want to talk about uh, fulfillment in your life. Um, and then we'll uh, wrap up with how people can, uh, can get this amazing uh, device. So you're now uh, living in, are you in Manhattan? Is that where you live? Yeah. Okay. Correct. And you're doing it. You're doing this business with your wife, uh, Alexandra, who is running your marketing. What are, there's a lot of people that are listening that are in business with, you know, their spouse or they are, you know, considering doing something like that. What are the big challenges of working together and, and how do you guys set boundaries to be able to, you know, effectively be able to work together and, you know, have a, have a, have a romantic life and be parents and all those things? Yeah, it's a great question. And let me tell you a couple of funny stories So, and, and tricks that we use. So first okay. we use, uh, uh, at work we use uh, Slack as a platform to communicate, right? Yeah, And instead uh, in our personal life, we use uh, uh, WhatsApp. And so sometimes it happens that we are slacking each other and maybe I'm pissed about something that we need to adjust urgently. And then I'm WhatsApping her saying, what do we have for dinner tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens all the time. And she's saying, oh, okay, so now you're not the asshole that was just on my uh, Slack. Now you're exactly. a different guy, huh? That's then, so funny. Yeah, that works well. Because otherwise, if you use the same platform, it's not that you can switch from I'm peace, why we didn't ship this on time yesterday, to do you want to have pizza or Chinese tonight, you know? Oh my God. That's a, actually, it's a brilliant idea because what you're doing is you're putting containers around different parts of your life. Exactly. 
And then there is another it. one that is funny. So obviously, uh, in particular, in my case, I just keep working. It's, it's how I am. I know that it's not the best thing to do, but it, it's how I am. And sometimes I come up with ideas, let's say at 10 p.m., Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in the past, I, I, I was, oh, do you want to listen to my idea? What if we do this and that? And her point was, no, don't bother me. It's, yep. You have your idea, it's 10 p.m., give me a break. I'm a colleague, yep. and you wouldn't bother a colleague at 10 p.m. Yep. And so I started thinking, fine, you're right, so I cannot talk to you, but I can still slack you. Because if you were a colleague, I could slack you at 10 p.m. I wouldn't so call now, you. now, does she get the notification that you slacked <laughs> yeah. her? So sometimes we are on the couch, and I start slacking her at ten at ten p.m. and I can hear the vibration, and he's so slacking her. But we are both on the couch, and maybe I'm reading or she's watching TV, and there is no my slacks uh, going through. But I cannot talk about that directly. I. Love that. And so does she does she raise the eyebrow and look at you from across the couch and go, you asshole? <laughs> sort of that, yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, you know, you are clearly somebody who executes on his goals. You go after it, right? You work all the time. You love it. What does your goal setting process look like? Is it more on paper, a vision board, spiritual manifestation? Like how do you how do you think about goals? Yeah, more I, I like to write memos. I think is mm. for two reasons, I guess. One, because I used to be a lawyer, and so probably it's how I have been trained, just writing. And yep. second, I also love it because it really pushes you to think clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for example, I do, at the end of the year, uh, during uh, the Christmas holidays, I do a review of my previous year, and I also set the goals for the following. Um and then, uh, I mean, as a CEO in the organization, I set the goals of the organization every quarter. And do you look at those goals once a week when you're doing your weekly planning? Or do you just, you know, like look at them once a quarter? Or what's your review process look like to make sure you're on target? For the, for the company goals, the, the quarterly goals, I review them maybe even three times a week. So all the times I have time to think, I just go through them over and over again to try to reduce them and wondering, is, are these really the, the right things to do? Yep. Um, the personal goals is more probably, I take a look to them probably once a quarter. And do you have a process for planning out your week? Is there a particular day planner that you use? Do you, is there an app that you use, a notebook? How do, you, how do you run your day? Do you have your list of things to do, a calendar? What, what, how does that work? Yeah, so I'm really, really picky with my calendar and I give different colors to the different activities. So I don't Mm -hmm. know, if I do product, I use green. If I do growth, uh, it's gray. If I do operations, it's blue. And Mm -hmm. uh, I track how much time I dedicate um, to each of these areas. And what I notice in my case is if something is a priority for me, um, it must become at least 50% of my calendar time. Otherwise, it means it's not a priority. So it's something like you're really double checking. Is this really a priority? And I'm really making it a priority. Otherwise, you just talk about that, but then you fail. Um, Give me an example of what you mean by that. So let's say for this quarter, growth was a priority for us. And I wanted to be deeply involved because there were a couple of things that we wanted to improve. And it's something we discussed at the board level. And so I said, okay, this quarter, I'm going to help them. 
And so I started monitoring if I was spending 50% of my time working on growth. Um, That's interesting. So, so you're saying this is my intention, but what am I actually doing? Correct. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And do you, do you look at that sort of like on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or is it just kind of like an eyeball it? So the whole calendar is organized in colors, right? So yeah. you see all these colors and every Sunday I go through that and I see for, for me, growth is a uh, is gray color. Okay. How much time did I spend in gray? And how much did I spend in offs and blah, blah, blah. And growth needs to be at least 50%. Let's say that this quarter, I give you another example when I switch. Okay. This quarter, we need to hire for this department. We need to hire a great team. Okay. And I was not doing it before. Now hiring needs to go from 10% of my time to 50% of my time. Otherwise, I know that that will not happen with the intensity I want. So you schedule, if you're going to work on hiring somebody, you write down 11 o'clock on Tuesday, um, focusing on hiring. So, so you, you make an appointment for the activity that you're doing and color code it. Yeah. Or what I do is I, I really start reaching out to people or you know, my HR team starts scheduling things for me. And at the end of the week, I said, okay, how much time did I spend talking to recruiters? How much time did I spend looking uh, at potential candidates? And how much time did I spend in top of the funnel to create a, a funnel of candidates? And if that was not 50% of my time, I know that I'm not putting enough intensity on that. Then really interesting. The other thing that happens is when you switch priorities, right? If now this quarter hiring becomes 50% of my time, it means that I have to cut other things. Because before growth was 50% of the time, there is no way I do growth and hiring and all the rest at 50%, right? And so it's a forcing function to then restructure how you operate with the growth team this quarter and start cutting meetings that you had for the previous quarter. Mm. Good. So it's giving you self-awareness that you need to be able to see what you're actually doing versus what you think you're doing. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So adversity and doubt is something that every... You know, every entrepreneur has to face. Um, there's something, you know, is there something that you do or say to yourself that helps you create more belief in attaining what it is that you're after? Yes. The first one is that, I mean, it's hard for everyone. doesn't matter what, what, you, know, what, what you do. It, it's it's going to be hard and you will have to overcome obstacles. So, it's not that you are a victim or it's not that your job is harder than the one of others. It's just part of the game. So just go through that, keep going. The second thing I learned is, in particular when you are an entrepreneur, you could have um, some really, really tough weeks where everything just goes wrong, everything. But usually, if you persist, probably the following week will be good because at the end of the day, they even out, Right. And so you can have a really bad week, but then that is below the average. And so probably the following week will be above average and because they, they need to compensate for each other. So the bottom line is you just need to keep going and go through adversities and just face them as quickly as possible so you get rid of them and you move on. So, so you're actually looking at it for what it is. You know that if you have a really crappy week, that there's a, there's a, there's a good chance that the following week is going to be better just because that's just the way it works. Yeah. And actually, it could be a pretty good one because it needs to counterbalance the shitty week you just had. Got it. 
Got so it. You, okay. You I get bad news, but then you will get a very good news. That is what it's, usually it, happens. You're right. That's exactly the way it works. It's almost like God is testing you. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Let's, let's see if we can take him to his knees this week. We'll make him happy next week. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about fulfillment. What is one rule that you have for yourself that you never break? Can you give me some examples of what yep, you exactly made a mean? Yeah, you made a decision that, you know, you were drinking wine and you were foggy and uh, as Italian as you are and as much as you love wine, you're like, that's it. I'm yeah. not doing it again. I got a new rule and I'm not going to break it. That's an example. Yeah, okay, gotcha. So actually on that side, uh, my friends, they say I'm really like a German. So I'm very diligent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an Italian. <laughs> You'd be good if you ran a railroad. Exactly. So, for example, I we came back from a vacation in Europe uh, where, we, where we were having a, a, a bottle of wine for dinner, a couple of drinks before. We came back and we said, look, why are we drinking uh, that much? Um, it's not doing any good to us. Actually, it impacts you know, your sleep, HRV, and other stuff. And I, that was uh, May, actually April 19. Since then, I, I never drank again. So I decided to stop drinking, and I stopped drinking. I, I don't have, even in Italy, I don't have wine, I don't have cocktails, nothing. How in the world, with the Italian blood that runs through your veins, were you able to do that? Man, is uh, in the U.S. is reasonably simple. When I go back to Italy, is embarrassing because you now they come to you when you're at the restaurant or when not, uh, when you go to see a friend for dinner at his house. Because in Italy, is really part of our tradition that you know you arrive at home or uh, let me uh, I'll let you try this champagne that I found from this place in, in, yeah. in uh, and and you say oh no sorry can I have just water and they look at you in a in a very funny way. Um, well, let me tell you how let me tell you how crazy the idea is. When my wife was pregnant, we were in Italy. Um, they asked her, you know, they're getting ready to pour the champagne, and she said, "No, I'm I'm pregnant." And he said, "That's fine. We'll just have wine." And <laughs> we looked at each other. He didn't crack a smile. He didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And you know, so I could imagine what it's like for you. Yeah, even because, for example, sometimes in certain restaurants in Italy. Now they try to be gentle and nice. And as you sit, they serve you a glass of uh, Prosecco and you know, a mm. glass of white wine. So both my wife and I, we stopped drinking. And so what was happening is they were serving us this, this, this welcome drink that it was also really good because maybe it's made by them you know, in, in, in the property or whatever. And you don't drink it. And it's really rude. But... Man, I don't drink. So I don't want it. I'm sorry. Now you're going to have to start to lie. Now you're going to have to start to say, ah, I have a problem. Exactly. And then the other thing I do is I don't, I'm on a keto. And so I never eat desserts. And so another thing that happens in Italy is after, you know, your, your, your main uh, dish, you usually order a dessert. They offer you grappa, which is a liquor. And Italians also drink coffee and I never drink coffee at night because it's bad for your sleep. And so I'm really the opposite of what any Italian would do after a meal. And I'm You're efficient. Not I would just, yeah. I'm, I'm taking your passport away from you. There's, okay. there's no party. You are a German. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Un- unbelievable. Well, listen, I could talk to you all day long. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. I really had a blast. Um, I learned so much about this. I am a huge fan of this product. Um, I will be putting a lot of uh, videos out this week and talking about it and sharing this uh, this podcast uh, with people. I hope you do the same because I think you know once you get this bed, you'll understand why I am a, uh, a raving fan over the bed and, uh, and, and now a new fan of uh, Matteo, even if he's German and tells people he's Italian. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? No, thank you for having me and just take care of your sleep. All right, brother. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.